everybody, welcome to Stumbling Towards Adulthood, year 1997, We're discussing all the big pop culture moments of that year. I'm your host, Michael, my co-host, Tony's on the other side. Yo. Hey, you might notice that my voice is a little bit different, and I might be gasping for air a bit. I haven't been sick now for almost three fucking weeks. <laughs> I can't believe it's still going. <laughs> we were supposed to do this episode uh, two Thursdays ago. But nope. Yeah. Yeah, you caught some kind of Northwest superbug, man. Yes, yeah. It's hang, it's lingering around. It's the same thing at work. People I work with, they're like, oh, still sick? I'm like, oh, God, really? You're still sick? That means I have another week or two of this. Crap. <laughs> <sighs> it's May. It's May. I never get sick in May. This is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, see, it's weird. I'll tell you, this is like the time when I do normally get sick. and I need to knock out the wood that I haven't gotten sick yet. Because usually when it's the season transition, I always get sick. So I, don't, yeah. I don't know what it is. You know, it's either it's from summer to fall, or it's from like uh, winter, winter to spring. You know, I, mean? I, I typically kind of get sick. Yeah, it, and the fact that there's so much pollen, it just it's like a cloud, just everywhere. All right, so let's get into the pop culture moments of 1997. As as usual, I can't talk. As usual, we start off with music. And this is a big switch year, I think, in music where it's becoming more eclectic and, and more exciting. Honestly, this is my era for alternative music. I, I like the grunge stuff, but a lot of it seems the same. Like, you know, the same style, same attitude. Uh, 96, 97 is where it started to break away and you got these little spin-off little areas of alternative music. And one of my favorite things is the fact that Canadian music is starting to get noticed. And the big breakout is Our Lady Peace. Okay. Loved Our Lady Peace. No one talks about it anymore, but if you look at the chart list, they had I, like six or seven top 40 like alternative hits. No, oh, yeah, for sure. They were, they were like definitely uh, a, a, you know, a stalwart on the, uh, on the indie alt list back then. I guess you can't really call it indie, They're like, but it was the alt, on the alt, heavy on the alt, alt rock rotation. Yeah. Uh, Bare Naked Ladies I, was just around the corner from breaking through to the mainstream. All right, yeah. I remember, I you know, I didn't watch 90210, but I heard that they got, like, kind of their start on 90210. Because, like, Jason Priestley, who's also Canadian, was a fan. Oh, he yeah, kind of gave sense. them their, like, their big break to mainstream. Like, they, they're always kind of grumbling around and, like, you know, like, yeah, you have the ground. I would hear people talk about them and stuff. Maybe on, like, like Letterman or stuff. But, yeah. Like, I, I think it wasn't until, like, Jason Priestley gave them their, their big break. And then they, you know. And uh, Blur broke big with song number two, which I knew from the Starship Troopers trailer, which they uh, showed nonstop. The song has nothing to do with the movie. The movie has nothing to do with the song. And uh, just a reason in your head, though, for a while, those two were connected. Yeah, it's weird. You always, sometimes you, like, there'll always be a, a song that you'll tie with the movie. Like, I'll do that with, like, even though, like, Train's body came out years after Lust for Life, Miggy Pop. I always have Lust for Life tied in with uh, Train Spotting. Whenever I hear that, I think. Yeah, I get that with Harvey Danger and uh, Disturbing Behavior. Oh, okay. And uh, I was trying to think there's another one. Um, yeah, it, was, it was around for years. Oh, uh, what's that one from Benny and June? I Would Walk 5, 000, 500 Miles, whatever. That song was like five years oh, yeah. before the movie, and, but everybody thinks it's from that year. Yep. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. It just, just depends on when you become familiar with it. Right. That's what, that's what it's, you know. God, I sound like a real I, radio I announcer associated. today. I don't sound like my normal nasal voice. It's, hello, everybody. Welcome to Radio Land. <laughs> exactly. You should stay sick. You, you get a nice bass in your voice. <laughs> I can't breathe for anything, though. It's terrible. Um, Marcy Playground. 
Uh, this is the year of their one-hit wonder. You know, I could have swore it was 98. But I looked it up. It was, it was 97 by 98, I think, is when they had that song Saturday. So, yeah, you know, that's one thing is it, it depends on when you hear it. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, like I, I remember people saying, oh, Nirvana, when Smoke Teeth hit came out in 91. But I never, I didn't start hearing it until 1992. Yeah, so I it, think most of it really spring, yeah. Right, so it depends on when it broke big and when you finally became familiar with it. It's kind of a shame that that was their one-hit wonder because I thought they had really pensive, thoughtful music, but clearly not designed for pop radio. They had one other song, which was kind of the B-side, which I liked better than Sex and Candy. For the life of me, I can't remember it right now. <laughs> but uh, but it was, yeah, it, was, it was pretty legit. Yeah, and I, you know, I thought that was a decent song. And like I said, I liked the, the only other song of theirs I heard I liked. I have no idea what the rest of the album sounded like because... I wasn't buying that many albums yeah. back then. Just cause, like, well, my sister broke. my sister was more like the pensive, thoughtful music, so she had this album. Um, I was more aggressive with my music, which is uh, why um, I was so delighted to look back and see how 1997 was the year that ska really went mainstream with four big bra- uh, bands. I think like you're, there's like a hundred ska bands all of a sudden. Like Everybody seemed to have a ska band. And... Um, but it seemed like the ones who really broke out were Mighty Mighty uh, Boss Tones, Real Big Fish, mm-hmm. um, Save Ferris, and Goldfinger. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, those are only probably the only ones I could think of. If there's any other ones, I wouldn't be able to know. Less than those Jake, I think, was really popular for a little bit, but was was Bowling for Soup? Was that the name of a song, or was that a band? I just remember that. I don't uh, know. I don't even know if that was a ska band. I just oh, remember no, that. No. Uh, that, well, Bowling that for Soup goes around a lot with ska bands. They're actually on tour with Real Big Fish right now. And okay. uh, the reason is because they're humorous. They're not a ska band. They're just like a fast punk band, um, but okay. more melodic in, in their uh, approach. And uh, yeah, I'm surprised you don't know that. They had like four or five really big hits. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, a band, just, not a song. That's just one of those things I've always heard like lumped in with other people, like maybe they'll announce a festival and bowling for soup. And just the, the title just sounded so absurd. Yeah. For whatever reason, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you a song. Yeah, the, the, the 1985 is their big hit. Okay. And she's a girl all the bad guys want. That was another big one for them. Um, yeah, yeah, they're they're, more, well, it, they're a comedy band, so they work well with uh, a real big fish. That's the funny thing is about a lot of these ska bands is that they were humorous in tone. I think that's why they weren't taken serious. Well, yeah, I mean, they are ska. It's it's what the different thing about ska when it made its resurgence, made its comeback. It was different than the ska from the early '80s because the early '80s ska did seem a bit darker. Yeah, it was more blue collar, uh, uh, British influence. Yeah, like like bands like uh, bands like Madness and whatnot. It really did have a little bit of a darker edge. Where this was definitely the, the late '90s ska was definitely lighthearted and fun. Yeah, and people get mad about this era of music. I think they're mostly thinking of Limp Biscuit <laughs> and Corn, and not realizing that there was a lot of fun stuff. Um, one of my favorite one-hit wonder bands is The Refreshments, where um, they sing that song Banditos. The only thing anybody ever remembers from that song is uh, "Show your card that says you're Jean-Luc Picard." <laughs> <laughs> um, what else do I have here? Let me actually look at my list. <laughs> In excess is done. Michael Hutchins was found, uh, hung himself, audio erotic asphyxiation, which is one of the strangest sexual acts I've ever heard of. Well, that's what they claim, because that's what the person who found them claimed. But to this day, they're not 100% sure if that is, that is actually how he died. Okay. I, I just I just heard something about this like a couple weeks ago, actually. Oh, so, so they think it was suicide that, or so he was who, killed? Whoever, 
I don't know who found him. I think maybe, I don't know if it was his ex-wife who found him. That's what she claimed is how he died. I mean, I'm sure it was some kind of suicide, but I don't know if that's actually the manner he died. I mean, he, it, it could be true. I'm just saying. Yeah, There's it's just speculation involving that. It's really shitty because their two previous albums were kind of rambling around and they didn't really have any hits and they kind of lost their mojo. And the 97 yeah. album, I think it was called Elegantly Wasted, which they had two decent songs on there. One was in Face Off, Don't Lose Your Head. And it seemed like they were poised to have a comeback and then just done, over with. That was yeah. really tacky that they did one of those VH1, let's find a replacement singer competition shows. Yeah. Like, that's fucking that, tacky. That, even, even back then, I was like, oh my god, this is just such a corny cash grab, man. This is just, you know what I mean? This is just like, you know, this is like, you know, I'm not being doing an old man rant. Like, this is what's wrong with pop music nowadays. Everything's a fucking talent show for ratings. Yeah. yeah. You know, just... I just, I don't know. It just seems like once it's done, go form a new band, you know, formerly known as an excess or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, you could do solo stuff. I mean, I don't see why Michael Hutchins, Hutchins never just did any solo stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I think definitely. he did. I think he did a couple songs on his own. Like, he did one for the Lost Boys, I think. Um, okay. I think he did a photo. Oh, yeah, I remember that. was yeah. like, come on, baby, a good time tonight. Yeah. Which, for the longest time, I thought... They sang uh, the remake of The Door song, People Are Strange. I always thought that was him, but it's not. I was wrong. Was that what, Echo and the Bunnymen? I think so. Or uh, the Pixies or somebody. It was one of those groups. Um, Third Eye Blind it, becomes I, synonymous with this couple. This year, 98, everybody knew them. Everybody listened to their songs, it seems. Yeah, boys and girls. I mean, this was one of those cross-platform kind of you know age groups. Uh, you know, um, men and women, kids and adults, they loved Third Eye Blind for a couple of years and then threw yeah. them away so fast. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't as enamored with it as it seemed like everybody else was. I remember when that, uh, I wish you would, whatever that song, I wish you would step up off that ledge, my friend. I remember somebody telling me, was like, oh man, it's deep though. He's talking about suicide. I'm like, yeah, I know, I get it. I understand. It's not like it's like, you know, it's not like it's a hard to find metaphor or anything. But No, well, that and the heroin song. Yeah, so these seem like, Women really seem to be attracted to, like, cute guys who can rock out but also be really thoughtful. Yeah. I will tell you this. I, I have their greatest I, hits album, so I can't complain. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I'll say. I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to shit on them. I'm just saying. I, just, I, wasn't, I don't think I was, you know, I wasn't all abuzz with them as, as everybody else seemed to be at the time. Yeah. But um, it's like those bands, they, they break so big. You know, you look at their first album – and it's like six or seven hits, and then the next album, eh, one or two, and then nothing. So when they put their greatest hits collection, it's mostly just that first album. <laughs> I know. What do you have, like two songs and ten remixes? Or yeah, I was like, what about Hootie and the Blowfish? Like, their greatest hits collection must be, well, we're just going to re-release our first album <laughs> with a bonus track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, Supergrass. Uh, I think people who really know like that style of music love Supergrass, but I really wish they had broken out because I have their greatest hits, and I'm like, this is a good single, this is a great single. This, I mean, this is filled with uh, you know potential breakout hits, and they only had like one minor hit. Yeah, the only two I could think of that I remember hearing on the radio besides uh, it was like "We're All Right" and then uh, "Would Pump Put on Your Stereo." Yeah, and, um, and that's Cop by, Cop by the Fuzz I, I, is probably I, another big one. Oh yeah, okay. I, 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 that's a good one. I don't remember hearing it on like the radio stations around my neck of the woods. Yeah, but, but you'd always find it like, on Alternative yeah. Nation. You'd always find, or what was it? Was it on 120 Minutes or Alternative Nation by this point? It, I mean, 
there, 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 Alternative Nation might have still been uh, kicking around. I mean, uh, 120 Minutes, I think, was was first, and then it ended up being last. Okay. Whatever yeah. the one that Matt Pinfield, when he was hosting, is when we started seeing more of this kind of stuff. And you still yeah. have to watch because they always had really goofy, fun, innovative videos. Mm. Yeah, this is this is towards the end of, like, you know, music video as an art form. You know, when you really put, you know, really put a lot of thought into it because, you I mean, you're like, you know, it's like you're trying you're trying to sell your product. You're trying to like, you know, it, not not just for means to sell albums, but it's also you're expressing yourself. Yeah. You know. The um, speaking of, I should have grouped these together better. I was just going through the year and writing down. I should have categorized them. But Sugar Ray is one of those guys that had a one hit wonder, and you thought they were done because I listened to that first album, Floored. And I was like, this is shit. This is like one hit, and the rest of it is like this really aggressive shit metal. And just this one offhanding, like goofy throw-in. And that's the one that everybody liked. So their second album, they completely changed formats. And they had a bunch of hits off that. But after that, done. Just gone. I remember I first was aware of them. They had a song called Mean Machine or something. You I, I, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Mean Machine. And, like, and then I remember, I remember, so they were all my, my, my periphery. You know what I mean? I, knew, I was aware of them. And then they came out with this, like, you know, whatever this sound that they have now. I was like, who are these guys? Yeah, this it's like, uh, almost like 311 Jamaica-influenced sound. Uh-huh. I, I, see, I feel like they, they went to, like, a focus group and, like, tweaked their image and sound like, what can we do? It was like, yeah, I don't like this. Take away that. Change your hair to this. Get yeah. some blonde spikes in there. Fucking tips. And then there, boom. Goddamn yeah. frosted <laughs> tips for two years. I think even the guy from Third Eye Blind had a frosted. Whatever it was, there's two things you can spot instantly and know someone was a douchebag. Frosted tips and that little thread line beard that goes around like Everlast and that guy from Third Eye Blind had. Like, yeah. oh, you're like, all right, I'm avoiding this person. <laughs> I may or may not have been guilty of that little thread line. Oh, no. As well. But, no. you know. And really, it was just an extension of my soul patch. I didn't go all <laughs> the way down to like my neck or anything. So. Oh, it, it, a, little, a, a little too long of a soul patch. I'll, I'll put it that way. The um, uh, a Prodigy. See, yeah, I really did this wrong. I should have grouped all the British bands together. I'm, just, I'm a dumbass. Uh, Prodigy just kicking the fucking doors open on a whole new sound, at least for America. I don't know what it was like over in England. Did you experience like this kind of sound, this this new electro? Yeah. It's weird because you know you get things you get things late like I mean you don't get our music late and then you know, you know what they they get our music a little more currently than we tend to get theirs but um like it's a big thing over there and then it comes over here but um yeah like they, they were that Prodigy was already like a full blown established thing I mean they've been around for years prior but that big second wave of like those hits were already you know pumping on like the uh, British British airwaves when I was there in '96. Uh-huh. And then yeah, then it invaded over here. Same with the Spice Girls. Like, I was aware of the Spice Girls before they had a hit over in the states. And when I came back, when I came back from um, you know from my semester abroad, I was like, guys, get ready for something called the Spice for the Spice Girls. They're gonna be all over the place in a minute. I'm like whatever. <laughs> Lo and behold. Yeah, it's funny is you find out all these bands are popular and they have releases overseas and they come over here and it's like their first release and it turns out it's just like their first three albums like they took the best of and put it together stuff like that. Um, yeah. Like the Backstreet Boys, you know, I think they were touring Europe before they ever came to America. And uh, I say, there's someone else that I had. Like, you just find out about these bands that have been, you know, beaten away for a decade, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, they finally broke through and we put together all this stuff for them. And it's like, well, it's a great first album. They didn't really have much after that because it was all the best of cut together. Yeah, I mean, I can, conversely, I remember when I was also abroad, Kate came out with, this is back in 96, going a year back, but. 
they came out with uh, Going the Distance. Uh-huh. And that hadn't, it hadn't aired in, uh, in England at that time. And then uh, my one friend was asking, hey, you heard that song uh, by Cake? Going the Distance? I'm like, no. Like, you're going to love it. I'm like, well, we'll see. I'm like, we'll see about that, buddy. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. I dig it for sure. Yeah, their, their music was interesting because it was Western influence and kind of a totally different tone and, and rhythm than most music around that time. Did we even discuss Cake last year? I don't even remember. I not. We may have. We yeah. may have briefly. Yeah. But the, that was in '96. Was a big banner year for them. But they were they were a band who stuck around a lot. Everybody thinks they have like one or two hits. But if you look back, like no, every two or three years they would have a single that broke out. And they just stuck around for like a decade, way longer than a lot of bands um, yeah. that you think of from that era. And one of the bands you think yeah. of is Smash Mouth, <laughs> which oh, totally. to me, I know a lot of their songs because I was a big fan. Um, I, I had like their first four albums. So to me, they're not like a two hit wonder. But for most of America, they are. They have All Star and they have Walking on the Sun and that's it. You know what song of theirs I heard recently at, like in a store? That I don't know the album it came from, and it wasn't one of their initial ones. But it was like, oh god, I'm gonna hum it and, mer- and massacre it right now. Okay. But it goes, I don't know what I don't know what that song that is, but uh, and you're like, I have no idea what that song. No, is. No, it's it's bounced around in my head, but uh, but it's oh, it's I yeah, it's it's kind of the it's a seventies influenced one. Pacific Coast song, oh no, Pacific Coast party. That might be it. Yeah, did it have horns and strings? It's legit. Yeah, dude, it's it's legit. I was like, wow, this is a decent song. Yeah, that was supposed to be a big hit from them. I remember the video was very expensive, and they were trying to change their sound away from punk, and they threw in like the seventies disco kind of vibe to it, and I was. Down for that. I was nobody else was nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I was really digging it. I was like, oh shit! What is this? I think it sounds like Smash Mouth. It can't be. <laughs> well, a lot of a lot of the hits that they had were covers of other people's, so they don't. A lot of people don't count them as legitimate hits because, like, well, it was already a hit. You're just you know doing a cover of it, so therefore it's right. Know, and they so they covered that, mon- that, that a monkey, lot. Covered that monkey song for the Shrek movie and stuff. Yeah, well, they did a Beatles song, uh, "Getting Better, Getting Better All the Time." They did a lot of movie songs. Um, I have their greatest hits collection, and I think like the first uh, four or five songs are like their originals. Then there's like four covers. Then there's uh, songs that were just from the movies, and then just random stuff thrown at the end. So for most people, yeah, it, it seems like they're kind of a it makes sense. I mean, because a lot of times you see them at these market, you know, these uh, fairs during the summer. You know, oh, festival, you get to see Smash Mouth for five bucks. And to them, it's a joke. But I think it's a smart idea. You get more people yeah, in yeah. willing to see you and you build a new audience. I remember I saw like uh, back in 2003 when I lived in Portland the first time, I saw President of the United States of America uh, doing playing the Rose Festival for free. It was a free gig for everybody to go. And it, was fucking, it was awesome. Yeah, it's smart because they, them and Smash Mouth knew that if you charged less and went to all these festivals and fairs where you get people who wouldn't normally come to, like, say, a concert hall, you know, and pay 25 bucks, you pay 10 bucks, you're going to build the next generation of listeners. Smash Mouth is still going on tour every single year with no problem booking. Sadly, the President of the United States, you know, they, they broke up, um, even though they're still putting out great albums. Um, but, yeah, their life was a lot longer than some of these bands that we listen to. Well, I remember a couple couple years ago, one of our uh, you know mutual friends, that guy Jamie, uh, sorry Jeremy uh, uh, Grazil, 
he posted something that Smash Mouth was playing in the Winco parking lot in Gresham or something. All I'm right. Like, that can't be right. That can't be right. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had to have been doctored. That can't be real. There's no way. It's playing a random Winco. I've looked. I think I looked at a list. Someone gave me a list like six years ago of what it costs to hire a band for anything. People who will do any event for any, uh, you know, as long as you pay them this amount of money. And I'm almost certain I saw Smash Mouth on there. And it wasn't even that expensive. It was like $15,000 a gig is what you could hire them for. You want to play at your wedding, your party? $15,000, you got Smash Mouth. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of like how, how bands start off. You yeah, know? well, I, I mean, just think it like you never have to go do a 9-to-5 job. Just go do a gig. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, even though I don't have any members in that band, it's going to have to be split a few ways. But, I mean, you know, a couple thousand dollars for, you know. You know, it's better than hour, what we do. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Little. The the uh, over in the hip hop scene, it really it seemed like a bad year for hip hop because usually I have like five or six bands, and I only have one. I, I feel like only Busta Rhymes broke out in '97. Um, I think this is his solo debut. He really just that song he had with the Night Rider theme as the baseline. Um, oh yeah. That really yeah, just like what is this? And I, I, I had it on the Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack, so I discovered it a year later. And I was like, Busta Rhymes, that is a really cool name, and this is a really cool beat. And that's how I slowly I think, started getting into him. I don't know if that was on. He had a really good album called Extinction Level Event. I don't know if that was off that It, it was, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the one that I think was really big for him. Yeah. It was, it was it, uh, really experimental uh, tracks and, and, and samples and stuff, and it was, it was, it was really cool. It started to make uh, hip-hop fun again. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like is when you go back and listen to it, it's a Will Smith curse where you have like a certain thing that they do and they repeat over and over like Will Smith had, woo, ha, 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 ha. And then uh, Busted Rhymes had almost the same thing, woo. (laughs) Uh, uh. You you have to have your signature little hook or catchphrase. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did we bring up Missy Elliott? This would be a perfect year since I don't have much. I don't want to... Seem like I'm leaving out in the audience. Uh, well, I mean, also going back in hip hop, that was also kind of give like the no limit kind of yeah, sound kind of broke out. I guess like, you're right. That's why I'm not talking about it. I could stand that shit. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't necessarily my cup of tea, but it was everywhere. It, yeah. it came out. Of, it seemed like it came out of nowhere because I, you know, I'm not familiar with the down south, you know, uh, kind of like New Orleans scene. But it came, it came out of nowhere, and then it was everywhere. Silk the Shocker, Master P, that whole thing, just like the covers were always really shitty. Um, the songs yeah, they were real just, cheesy looking. Yeah, they didn't seem yeah. like they had anything they really needed to say. It was just like filler songs. I, I think the other thing that was big that year was uh, um, Puff Daddy and Mace, and I didn't really dig into either one of them either. So for me, it was well, only Missy Elliott and Busta Rhymes, because they had like an innovative look in their videos, the sound was different. Yeah, totally. Because they weren't doing what everybody else. Did. Everybody else was doing at the time. Because it was like a formula for success. It was kind of like, look how look how much money I'm making. Look look at all this. Look how shiny my suit is. Look at this gold chain. I'm in, I'm in this car right now. Check it. Check this out. Like yeah. and like you know. I think the perfect parody of all of that would be like Lonely Island when they do. I'm on a boat. And all <laughs> these guys were boats back then. They're all. They had to show about how, how rich they were because they were fucking rapping on a yacht. You know? Well, do you remember uh, there's two guys that really uh, seem – if you had these two guys involved in your music, it was better hip-hop. If you had Hype Williams directing your video, he always using that fisheye fish lens and fancy lights. And if you had Timberland, Timbaland producing for you. 
Yeah, no, yeah, he was one of those guys. And then, like, to a lesser degree, like, the Neptunes started to come out. Like, they, like they, they were producing, they were producing Noriega's album and some of the late 90s guys. But, like, yeah, yeah, Tim Timberland and Neptune. Like, or, or the, was it Neptune or the Neptunes? The Whatever. Neptunes, yeah. But, you know, Pharrell Williams and company. But, um, yeah, if those guys were behind any of your tracks, it was, like, a recipe for success. Those guys, yeah. those, those guys were hit, hit, hits makers. They were like the new Barry Gordy, you know what I mean? <laughs> And finally, I'm going to say Chumbawamba was a song that wouldn't go away, that everybody hated for a while, and I go back now and I kind of enjoy it. That was good, fun, catchy pop tune. I mean, it is what it is. It's a sing-along song you want to sing. It's about life. It's about drinking and having a night out in the town. So you kind of want it to be something you could sing along at a bar, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, you know, fit, fit that criteria. Yeah, I'm still sick. Everybody <laughs> clear my throat. Ha! Ha! Um, over in movies, this is the year where it gets kind of weird because uh, a lot of these movies I'm starting to pick up on our other show, Video Night, so I'm going to kind of burn through these. Uh, Donnie Brasco, making, I would say, one of um, Johnny Depp's first attempts at being like a normal guy, and it worked really well. Yeah, well, he, was, he was surprisingly good in that. I mean, I've seen what the actual Donnie Brasco looks like, or the guy, whoever the real guy who played Donnie Brasco, the character, looks nothing like him. He's like, you know, Donnie, you know, Donnie Depp is way too handsome to be any, any, any normal person. But, yeah. Yeah, he did. Be, I thought he did a, a pretty, pretty damn good job on him, for sure. Private Parts. The uh, legitimacy of Howard Stern. He is one of those one-movie wonders where he just appeared in one film, and that was it. Uh, it, it's not very common that you get a starring yeah. role in a movie that's a hit. And I know that they tried to do a, not a sequel, but a sequel in spirit where he was like the head of a crazy radio station and David Spade and Melanie Griffith were in it. I mean, it was ready to wow. go. And then Howard Stern said, you know what? The script sucks. I'm fucking out. I'm just going to go back to my extremely lucrative radio job yeah. where he was getting paid <laughs> so sure. much money. Well, he was burning the candle at both ends to make that movie at the same time he was doing his, his radio gig because he was flying back and forth to L.A. to shoot it and then back to New York to you know, do his, ra his radio gig. It wasn't like how it is today where you can do stuff remotely, you know what I mean, as easily. Yeah. So um, just the technology wasn't there. So he was really killing him to do that. And then he had another book. He already was already you know, in the can at that point. It had already been out. He was going to do a sequel to uh, Private Parts was Miss America. I remember that one, yeah. And, uh, he was going to make that into a movie. And then, of course, even in the early 90s, he was batting around Fartman, but that was never done. Oh, thank God that never happened. But, yeah, <laughs> silly, just, you know? he had a point where he literally had a number one movie, a number one book, the number one radio show, and mm -hmm. that was so unprecedented. And it just seemed like he was on top of the world. And then he signed that deal with XM, what, like in 2002? Yeah. Like, I just remember he was ubiquitous for like a decade because after the movie, he got that TV show on E!, where he was just basically cameras on his radio show. So he's doing the same thing twice, getting paid twice, but only putting one hour of work into it. And I was like, that's genius. Yeah. Well, he, I think that show on E was already already around. Like they had, so he had a Channel 9 show or like a super uh, like a super channel. It was like a New York version of like a W, or like, like what's the what's the super station that has Chicago stuff? Yeah, yeah, Ch Chicago, w, uh, what is that, Chicago 9 or something like that. Something like that. Well, WGN. New York had a version of that. WGN, yeah. There you go. New York had a version of that in the early 90s, and he had like almost like a sketch comedy show. Some of the things were pretty funny. And yeah. then, then he had that e-show, e which is kind of like, you know, it's the radio show, but then it's also some behind-the-scenes shit and some other things. 
and then that kind of like springboarded it. People, you know, because that way people who didn't get that the radio show in their market, uh-huh. they, you know what I mean, could see what he's about. So they're also familiar with him. It's kind of a good move on their part because not everybody, especially in like the Bible Belt, not everyone's getting Howard Stern on their radio now. No, and so it's funny is that now it seems XM locked them into a huge contract, and they're probably regretting it now because XM numbers are dying. Radio dot is dying in general. Is he going to be the last mega radio star? Can you think of anybody else so, at, anywhere nearly as big as him over the last twenty years? See, the thing about that deal, it made sense at the time, but what they're doing now to stay competitive is, uh, I think they, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think they acquired Pandora or they have some kind of some kind of thing with Pandora. Okay. So you can get you can get the replay of his broadcast. I don't think you won't be able to get it live. I think that's exclusive to XM uh, slash Sirius um, now. You know that Sirius then purchased acquired XM, the kind of deal thing. And um, so, but I think there's ways to get it streaming, uh, but you just won't be able to get a live stream unless you have a subscription. But then you get like a new car. They they come a lot of the cars come pre-installed with like. Um, XM. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Either, Whenever we rent a car, either, and we get XM, yeah, and I'm like, okay, this is cool, but I'm not going to pay for this on my own. Yeah. <laughs> no, nor would I. I mean, I, I know how to act. I know how to search out the stuff I want to see in other in other ways. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, they also have some kind of thing tying with Pandora, I believe. Okay, yeah, I have to look that up because I'm just interested in where his show is at right now, knowing that he's like the last well, major DJ, and, and like, what is is the show well, changed or is it still the same? It's still pretty much the same from what I've gathered. I haven't actually listened to it in years, but from what I've been told, um, he still gets high-profile guests. Like anybody who's anybody, all A-list, like people like, you know, some of you guys are in Avengers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and stuff. So he gets, you know, he gets the creme de la creme guests. Um, but, I mean, his contract's coming, is, 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 you know, expiring soon. He's like in his, you know, his mid-60s. So I don't know what he's going to do if he wants to yeah, retire. Yeah, I, I imagine he'll wants, still... You know? He'll still do it, but they're going to have to lower their contract. They can't be paying him. What was he getting, like $3 million a year or something like that? They're probably going to give him a million a year contract. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, they can't be making that much in ad revenue. I mean, I just don't, I mean, I don't see how that would be, you know. Or just to have a, why is he, he could do his show as a podcast. I mean, then again, I don't know how much Mark Marin makes a month. I mean, he's the number one guy. He could compete, yeah. I think. Well, for years, Stern was talking – Denigrating podcasts, talking about how they're not—they're not real radio guys trying to do a radio show. I think now he's come around. He's seen how how like long format interviews could be because a lot of people like like that. They don't want anything it's shot, short, yeah. choppy little segments. You know what I mean? Well, I think so the glory—the glory of him going over to XM and the idea of podcasting is the fact that you're not restricted by the FCC. Right. No, totally. I mean, but then there's 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 radio friendly. I mean, there's family friendly versions. Of podcasts, if you want them, you know, yeah, I, they, have, they have those as well. You know, if you're so inclined. The um, the one thing that I didn't like was that because of the success of Howard Stern, all of a sudden everybody became a shock jock. You know, they were pushing these guys hard, and a lot of it, the shock was based not out of you know let's contact uh, let's uh, let's talk about like. Uh, uh, taboo subject matters that we don't normally attempt on radio. Let's just now be as offensive as possible because most of our lim- uh, listeners are uh, juvenile, teenager, you know, boys. So we're going to be yeah, racist. Just... We're going to be sexist. We're going to. It's just uh, Howard Stern was doing something different. He was pushing it to a different edge. But you listen to guys like Man Cal Muller, uh, Opie and Anthony, Bob um, uh, the Love Sponge. Yeah, uh, uh, Bob and Tom. They're just it's fucking tired. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just shock for shock's sake. Yeah. yeah that that shtick only only like it's only lasts so long. It's only it's only interesting so for so long, and then it's like you either have to keep one upping yourself, and then where right. does that go? <laughs> you I, know? Think, I think that's or, what works or, about the yeah, movie is because yeah. he didn't go strictly for the shock. He could have just done an exploitation film. But with uh, Betty Thomas, who's a really good director, she controlled all of that and gave a legitimate story. Yeah, well, I mean, the guy, the guy, is, he's led a really funny and interesting life. Why not put that out there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, the life of a radio person, you know, you and I both know, is, is a very strange life. And sometimes it's really lonely. I mean, they, they talk about it in WKRP. You're constantly moving around from town to town. You can't make any real connections in order to get a new job. Yeah, it's it's definitely not as glamorous as people think. Yeah. People think like if you're like you're like you're a disc jockey, it's like maybe one level down from being like a television anchor. It's, no, completely different. Yeah. <laughs> um, other movies this year because I it took way too long on that. Sorry, Liar Liar, Jim Carrey's big comeback after Cable Guy got you know all that notice for being paid twenty million dollars and it didn't do very well, even though it's a much better yeah. movie. Liar Liar, just Agreed. massive, massive hit and. It's okay. I don't think it's aged as well as uh, as I thought it would. Yeah, no, there's some funny parts to it. I mean, look, it's it plays on the thing. Like we all know, lawyers are liars. Yeah. So what if these guys forced to tell the truth and like the suppression of the suppression of of the truth made him go into fits, which is kind of funny. It's a funny premise. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yes, man. Parts yes, man. Almost has the same exact premise, just with a different outcome. And I think it's actually a lot better than Liar Liar because. This by the time Yes Man came out, I think Jim Carrey had revealed that he was kind of a sad, broken man. Yeah, no, he was kind. Of, he was kind of burned out on the kind of Hollywood comedy. Yeah, um, typical Hollywood. Chase and Amy saved Kevin Smith's career because Mallrats did not do well critically or commercially. And when I look back on it, it really didn't make that much money. It made like ten million dollars off a three hundred thousand dollar movie. But I think what it did was kind of open the doorway for average Joes and Janes to see what life was like for a lesbian? That's true. Yeah, for sure. And I did it in a more honest, uh, blunt way instead of trying to make them... You know how they do in a lot of movies where they give the lead girl the sassy gay friend and stuff like that, or they try to make all lesbians really butch and tough. What's up, bro? And this went in the exact opposite direction. Yeah, no, it's just like, you know, I mean, you know, she's a lesbian, but she had a past, you know, and it's like she wasn't born, you know, I mean, she was probably born with those tendencies, but like she wasn't a lesbian her whole life, you know, yeah. so kind of explore, explore that aspect, you know. I, I wish that he would do more um, character-based stuff. I think a lot of his stuff now seems to be more plot-based, and sometimes the plot isn't very good, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. You know, come on, I, I watched Yoga Hosers, and I was like, why did you even want to do this? <laughs> yeah. That was almost like a throwaway movie he did for his daughter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Which is the way to destroy your career is nepotism. You know, when you do, oh, I'm doing this movie for my wife, you're like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. The uh, gross point blank, John Cusack's big comeback. I say big. It didn't do well uh, at the box office. I loved it. But it blew up on video, and that soundtrack was ubiquitous for this time period. And, Great uh, soundtrack. I, they, they had two versions of it. Both were good. Yeah, th- this and um, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, I think, uh, came out within a few weeks of each other. And it finally signaled, like, hey, we're ready to discuss the 80s. We're going to go back and you know dive into these really cool, the sound and the look. And both movies right. had different comedic tones, but both, I think, were very well done. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, I, I remember, I, I remember, saw that wildly entertaining. Yeah, I mean... 
still to this day, the, the favorite part of my movie, I don't, I don't know why, is when he goes to what used to be his house, and it's now a convenience store. And he goes, ah, you know what they say, you can't go home anymore, but apparently <laughs> you can still shop there. <laughs> <laughs> that, this uh, gave them the ability to do high fidelity, which I think is peak John Cusack. Yeah, for sure. Right now, we're at the moment of low John Cusack. What in the fuck oh, is he doing? Why does he keep doing these going... movies where he looks like he's embarrassed to be in it? He wears a hat. He wears shades. He wears something over his face yep. or head to hide who he is. That's so funny that you said that because I just saw a movie with him, with him and it came out in 2017 called Arsenal. And he's, he has doing all of that. He's got sunglasses, a hat. He's wearing all black. He's hunched over. Barely any lines. Very, very But he's like... But he's like on the marquee as like one of the main men. Yeah. But he does—he's not even in the movie that much. And of course, he's in it with another fellow uh, actor who does these cash grab movies, Nicolas Cage, who is at peak Nicolas Cage in this movie. Yeah, but and both, both awesome. are more talented than the shit they're putting out. At least John, uh, yeah. at least um, Nicolas Cage has like one gem amongst all the crap. It's been a long time. I really thought Love and Mercy was going to be John Cusack's like, hey, okay, I'm done screwing around doing these easy cash grabs last few years. I'm ready for a comeback. And no, you look at his IMDb and it's just back to the same old shit. Here's my theory about why he always wears a black hat and sometimes shades is it's not always him. I think he signs for a week of shooting and then he has to stand and do half of it. Has a doppelganger come in. What was it? Uh, it's theory. Drive Hard is the one where uh, my friend Chad Law, he wrote it. And it's Thomas Jane and uh, John Cusack. And John Cusack's in Shades and Hat the entire movie. And I have had the guts to ask him. I go, I wanted to ask him, I was like, is John Cusack technically even in the movie? Or is that just his stand-in drive in the entire film? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Speaking of Nicolas Cage, we got the double feature of Con Air and Face Off, two massive bro movies. And uh, I'm, I've, I've never seen either one. Neither one? Okay, crazy. yeah. Neither one. They're more interesting than in, in concept and in execution. But if you tell that to the 20-year-old me, he would have said you're insane, that there's something wrong with you. These are the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Face Off, just like just, just the premise. I was like, nope. Yeah, I'm not on board. It does seem like something that Kevin Sorbo and Lorenzo Lamas would be in instead. You know, like some direct-to-video movie. <laughs> yeah, that's like you know that. But that, people were do. I mean, that was like you know these would like barely scratch Netflix nowadays. Some yeah. of the concepts now they're like, what do you got? Give it to me. You know? <laughs> um, Austin Powers, boy, uh, I had no idea it was going to be as big as it was. I went the second weekend because I thought the trailer looked really funny. We walked out of the movie going, that was the stupidest fucking thing we've ever seen. By the time we walked out from the theater, the two miles back to campus, we went from, that was really stupid, to that was fucking great. I have no idea how that, that has never happened to me before. When you stop and think about it, it's very, it's very quotable. And there's definitely some, some, some ridiculously silly scenes that kind of like, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, like, it's almost like a goofy Saturday Night Live sketch. You know, stretch out into a movie. Yes, some, it totally some of the, is. Some of the premises are ridiculous. I think the problem with Mike Myers is that he's very self-indulgent. There was a period of my life where I was just crazy for So I Married an Axe Murder, but I watch it now and I kind of cringe. Same thing with Austin Powers. I cringe because it yeah. feels like he controlled everything. And no one would tell him, okay, cut. Uh, you're just going to keep going? Okay, just whatever. Just keep <laughs> going. You hired me. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I felt the same way with Sorry My Next One. I thought I thought that was I thought it was brilliant at the time. But yeah, I, I guess it doesn't doesn't necessarily hold up as well as it did back then, but it was it was pretty it was pretty uh, it was pretty fresh. It was pretty, yeah. pretty the, you know, fresh and innovative back then. The one thing I can say about Austin Powers is Austin is not funny. The reason the movie works so well is Doctor Evil. I think his character is absolutely entertaining and, and very, very funny, whereas I want to stab Austin in the neck with a pencil. I, I think his uh the obliviousness of him, kind of like uh, the kind of the fish out of water, um, kind of premise is funnier than his actual dialogue. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the, the problem. I think a lot of his either. dialogue just goes on. You're like, please stop talking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because like you know, yeah, the, the yeah, maybe, and the shaggy dog. That's kind of you know, it's kind of corny. Yeah. But the fact that he just doesn't understand the fact that you know he's from a time. Uh, <laughs> Where things were so different, he doesn't really seem to understand, you know, which is the premise of the movie. He doesn't, he doesn't understand how ridiculous he is and the time he lived in compared to how it is. Yeah, and the series would just go down. Yeah. Even though, as the box office went up, I think the quality of the movies went real down. Like, the second one clearly has no script. They're just improv the entire time. Yeah, or they kind of they kind of reuse some of the same uh, shtick and some, some of the same jokes and gimmicks they use or, like, recycled and, you know, use them in a different way. The uh, the buddy comedies of '97, nothing to lose and money talks. And at the time, I thought they were absolutely phenomenal. I don't think they hold up as well. Martin Lawrence gets on my nerves and nothing to lose. And Charlie Sheen is clearly just signing a paycheck for money talks. He Chris Tucker is carrying that entire movie. Yeah, yeah, he he's coming off like a uh, wave of success from like fucking uh, Friday and whatnot. And uh, yeah, he was he's one. Basically, what people are going to see, Charlie Sheen is just def- definitely the ultimate straight now. So people aren't really, you know. Well, I guess everybody com- com- or comedy kind of needs a straight man. So yeah. I guess, you know, you kind of fulfill that role. You know, do it as far as you can. Yeah, people, people were there to see Chris Tucker for sure. Um, every movie, it seems like every dad had this one movie in their collection that always seemed to have like one of those, uh, like in the line of fire, Patriot Games. Air Force One would be found in almost every dad's collection, I'm certain, around this time period. I watched it. I don't yeah. understand why it was so successful. It just seems like one of those programmers that's safe that uh, uh, you can take your parents to. You know what? They, they seem like they never – for whatever reason, I couldn't get any of the Tom Clancy movies, Patriot Games, or you know, what yeah. are some of the other titles? Uh, there's, I, I just, it starts off Hunt for October, Patriot Games, Clear, clear, clear and Present Danger, Air Force, Air Force One to me clearly seems like it should be the progression of that character of Harrison Ford. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, it just like like the points you just mentioned. It seemed like there was something designed for you know I didn't know my dad at the time, but <laughs> but it seemed like that would be something like something my dad is not into. But typical suburban dad, it seemed yeah. like that's what he would be. Well, it's it's in one of the last of those diehard kind of movies where his terrorists take over some sort of confined space, and uh, yeah. it might as well be the coda to that whole concept because, uh, well, hey, you got a decent director, you got a good star, you got a, a solid budget, but I got to tell you, the CGI in that movie is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. It's always the same kind of gimmick with these. It's like. They took over so-and-so, but they weren't counting on William yeah, yeah. T. Gingersmith. There's always some sort of line, like this one says, get off my plane. Yeah. They, did, they thought they had things covered, but they didn't take into account 
Bill Phillips and his determination. You know, whatever. Bill Phillips was an architect of military weaponry. He knows how to build a gun out of sauce packets and a fork. (laughs) 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 All right. um, uh, Another one with a uh, instantly... Just one of those one-liners that won't go away. How you like them apples? Fucking Goodwill Hunting. Uh, oh, another yeah, Kevin Smith. Um, he didn't direct it, but he produced it and got it going at, at Miramax. Yeah, you know, you know his old old buddy uh, Ben Affleck. Uh, you know, helped uh, him and uh, what uh, Matt Damon. Yeah, co-wrote that. And if I'm not mistaken, they won, won an Oscar for best original screenplay or something. Yep, and and then Robin Williams won, and and it was a boost for all of them, obviously. But um, I think. The fact that they were trying to push Matt Damon and Ben Affleck as leading men for so long and it kept failing over and over and over. And I was like, dude, stop yeah. it. And then all of a sudden, just one year, they both they both hit big. And I'm like, okay, we're, I guess we're good then. I guess they are stars. <laughs> I guess it's going to happen. All right, never mind. I guess you force it hard enough. Um, yeah, there's nothing really to say about that movie. I've never seen it since. I mean, I've seen it when it came out, but I haven't seen it since. Not really. I mean, I recall the main beats of that movie. It doesn't seem like the kind of movie that you'd you'd watch again, like Titanic. Like we were talking about Titanic earlier. Is what that that also? I believe, from, didn't that come out in 1997? Also, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 97 came out the week after Goodwill Hunting, I believe, and of course was the biggest movie of all time until just recently, and it wouldn't go away. It was number one, I think, for four fucking months. I knew someone who saw it 17 times, and I was like, you know there's other movies, right? And you can buy this on – you've already bought this on video like six times. <laughs> I just got, I, my brother got mad at me when I told him this, but I've never <laughs> actually seen it, and he got angry. He got, he got angry at me when I told him that. I just never saw it. I never got around to it. Um, I, I didn't like – I don't like when they make something that's an historical fact and then they make uh, – they created a backstory that didn't happen, or they created these characters. Yeah, Whatever yeah, yeah. reason, it just annoyed, annoyed me. Yeah, I was like, asking. That didn't I was that, asking that you. Not, I was a, accurate. Yeah, I was asking you why you hadn't seen. it. I was asking why he was mad. But um, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it since it came not, out. I, I'm done. I, I saw it in theaters. I cried, and I was like, okay, that's enough of that. I think team, uh, Titanic uh, ruined James Cameron because if you look before Titanic, he was doing a movie every three years, and they're always big, fun yeah. movies. And all of a sudden, he wins an Oscar. He makes the greatest movie ever made, in quotation marks, Titanic. And then he's like, well, fuck, I can't do anything again. He doesn't make another movie for 12 years. It's Avatar. And now, yeah. it's just like every time he comes out now, he feels like he has to top himself, which is ridiculous. Just make yeah. some fun, good movies, okay? Every career, every director has an up and down in their career. And uh, just deal with it. You don't have to. What, why are you wasting these years is what I'm wondering. Yeah. Everything everything has to be the next Citizen Kane resigned doing. Yeah. No, but but my brother got mad at me because he he felt like I wasn't seeing it just to be that guy to not. Oh, uh, okay. So whatever it is, and I just a contrarian, I mean, I, just a purposeful I, contrarian. Yeah, like I was my girlfriend at the time. We had broken up. We were gonna see it, but then I'm like, I'm not gonna see it by myself. I'm a dude. I'm gonna see you know see this happy love story with a bunch of teenagers in the theater. So it's just like you know, it just didn't come around, and it just never, you know, it would always come on like cable halfway or. Three quarters, three quarters with them. Well, I'm not going to watch it, you know, this far into it, and not see the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, it just you know, you're really not one of those movies. That, you're not. It, it yeah. seems to be now just appreciated for its technical. The romantic stuff doesn't seem to be all that great. I don't know. It, 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 it when movies are super hyped, I sometimes I just go, no, nah, I'm good. Right. Uh, okay, so we're running yeah. out of time here. Let's uh, video games. Um, I don't have much to say. I just remember seeing these games constantly. Uh, Goldeneye. Played that all the time with my friends. That was the only game you really would play with friends because I feel like co-op, 
against each other didn't exist before this. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty ahead of its time. That was like you are. It was like really one of like the shooters that you know you could do with like a team. And it was really exciting. I don't remember any ones like that. You know, prior. Yeah. Maybe I, they had them on PC and stuff. Maybe. But as far as like for con for consoles, I don't I don't recall anything like that. Uh, Final Fantasy VII finally broke out the franchise to the mainstream. I look at it and I go, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> that's that's another one of those games I can never get behind. It's like these like, uh, what's that kind of? What's the um, the anime style it's like you're like look- RPGs? Yeah, you like you like you like looking down on it, and it's like kind of like a gauntlet style looking game, but it's like I don't know. Yeah, just not my bag. Uh, Mario Kart, the beginning of that franchise, which I still think is going today. Yeah, that's uh, whatever reason, man. People like really love uh, Mario and Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog and um, you know Donkey Kong. These cutesy characters. Yeah, you yeah, can add them to any like... any concept. You could just throw in Mario Baseball, yeah. Donkey Kong, hockey. You know. Yeah, and it's just like yeah, they really have like a lasting power beyond their original game. Like you can't really have a lot of other characters. Like you can't just stick in. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm think of like another. Can't stick in like Ryu in the like Ryu cart or something like that, or like you know, like Bl- Blanca, you know, and something <laughs> else. You know. The uh, the game Oddworld was groundbreaking in its design and innovation and texture, and I remember loving it for the first month, and then my roommate would get caught on something, and I would have to hear the same fucking thing over and over and over till I wanted to scream and leave the room. I didn't have headphones. I should have got a, a, a something to block it out while I was trying to do my homework. But hearing the for two or three hours straight made me insane. I don't know if you ever played the game. It's it's really cute. But um, uh, last game I'll mention. Wait, wait, wait. Was that was that for uh, what, what consoles? Was that? For, I want to say I, it was for the PlayStation. That. I don't think it was for the Saturn. I think it was only for the PlayStation. But yeah, Oddworld, Abe's Odyssey, and I think it had a couple sequels to it. And uh, um, I look back on it now, and I remember how like well-designed it was. But at the moment, I wanted to take the disc, snap it in half, and stab it. <laughs> stab somebody with it because I was so angry. Uh, Grand Theft Auto, I don't think any of us played the first Grand Theft Auto. I don't know anybody. But this would start a franchise that would build like crazy. Yeah. Now everybody just gets so eager about any entry. It wasn't until Grand Theft Auto Three when they changed the view. Yeah. You get actually, you know what I mean? Well, it was like, open world like, too, You right? could really see him drive. Yeah, because it was like that kind of like um, the, like the spy. It was like a spy hunter view, like the overhead view where you saw somebody getting out of. You know what I mean? So it wasn't until like it was um, more of like a I'm trying to think what's, what's side what's, view, what third person side view. Yeah, one of this. Right, more when the, the side view came around, it was really you could see him ripping somebody out of the car. You could see the actual violence. You know what I mean? It was it was definitely more visceral than it was. You know, yeah. it, seemed, it seemed a little more detached. You know, the first the first Uber, you know. All right. So over in TV, our final segment is the Chris Rock show debuts on HBO, and we give us Pooty Tang, Sadate on the Tippy Tie. <laughs> I I was saw that on somebody else's house. So I didn't have HBO, but like you know, it was definitely very absurd. I like like some of the characters. I'm not, not the the Pooty Tang version. I'm yeah. Saying. But some, some, of it, some of it was pretty funny. Some of it was his commentary on what to do if you get stopped by a cop. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, the show, Chris Rock um, got this because of that big special he had in 96. I can't remember. It's not Bigger and Blacker. What's the one from 96? Mm. 
I can't remember. But I remember his career was kind of on a downfall. CB4 didn't do well. He got fired from SNL. Uh, Living Color got canceled like he, the year that he was there. So he was only there for, I think, yeah. six or seven episodes. And uh, yeah. then he did like a couple of direct-to-video movies. He was going nowhere. I think he ended up doing his special, The Beverly Hills Ninja, and then The Chris Rock Show, which started to build buzz like crazy for being something completely different than anything else on television. Yeah, no, yeah. You like he had, he had like one uh, really uh, uh, popular uh, comedy special. Uh, that kind of springboarded him into like you know, you know, cult stardom. You know, yeah. Like uh, yeah, so he get more and more picture deals for for you know, for high value. You know, for like for like you know, Lethal Weapon Four, which he's like, awful in. He is terrible in Lethal Weapon Four. <clears throat> What's the one he also did? Um, he a couple years later he did a remake of. Uh, Oh right, um, uh, just uh, he- he- heaven. Can heaven wait. Can heaven what the hell can wait. Yeah. Uh, down to earth. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, he's still holding on today. I mean, he still shows up in movies. I like that one that he just did with Adam Sandler. The the week of was really good. Okay. Um. All right. What else in TV? We have Daria debuting, which is a much smarter spinoff of Buffy. Or not Buffy. Sorry. Uh, I have Buffy written below it. A uh, much smarter uh, <laughs> spinoff from Beavis and Butthead. That's right. She was a Beavis and Butthead, wasn't she? I totally yeah. About that. And I just realized Buffy and Butthead would have been a much different show. <laughs> <laughs> um, just Shoot Me debuts, which would go on for seven seasons, maybe two seasons too long. But I, I always thought that was a riot. That that pit fit perfectly with news radio. Totally. Yeah. That that was that was that was definitely like a good uh, two really. Smart TV show that I've seen at the time. Well written, uh, great comedic cast, re- re- really good, um, really good time. And they had they had like a lot of great uh, guest stars occasionally. Yeah, like Hussain, well, when it, he would get star on both of those shows occasionally, it'd be hilarious. Right. Know? It's um, I read Bernie Brillstein's autobiography before he died, and he produced both their shows, and he produced um, Mr. Show. And that's how you see so many people from Mr. Show pop up in those two shows and how everybody would just kind of – he signed basically every hot comedian. He had all those SNL guys. He had like Jon Stewart, you know, uh, The State, all those like hot comedians he would sign. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so I just kind of like yeah, – they already have, a, they already have a, a partnership so they can just kind of pop in, pop out of all these other uh, different vehicles that he's producing. Yeah, it just makes a lot more sense like – if you're going to have all these guys signed to you, go produce your own shows. That way you can, you know, spotlight your, your, um, Dan, what do you call it? You're an agent and they are your, whatever. I got what? nothing. I'm getting tired. All right. <laughs> uh, I hate it. I, sometimes I like doing the show, but sometimes in the mornings I'm a little groggy. Uh, that's the excuse I'm going to use. Win Ben Stein's money. <laughs> I, for some reason, forgot that when you win Ben Stein's money, that it was literally Ben Stein's paycheck on the line. If he didn't win, he didn't get paid that episode. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, because, you know, Ben Stein's such a know-it-all, but, like, all, you, all it takes is, like, one, you know, one Ken Jennings type of intellect to, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, I wonder if there was multiple up. winners. Like, he would just go, like, a month without a paycheck and be like, shit, this is a terrible idea. But that's how Comedy Central signed on to it. They're like, well, we would pay you, you know, $2,500 an episode. Well, guess what? If you don't win this one we have to lose it, you don't get paid. And the breakout star of that event side money was Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, who, who knew? To be Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> and isn't isn't Ben Stein a well known Republican? And Jimmy obviously is very liberal. 
That's kind of weird. Yeah, comparison. he's like, why? Well, I wouldn't say definitely conservative. I guess Republican kind of goes in the territory. Yeah. I don't know how on board he is. Well, Ben Stein used to work, uh, write for but, Nixon, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's a well, he's a well known conservative, but uh, yeah, just his deadpan facial expressions and yeah. his monotone delivery is perfect for comedy. You know, way, uh, unintentionally hilarious. You know what I mean? This would give us the man show, of course, and uh, I'm not sure if man show reflects well on us anymore. <laughs> yeah, you can't. It's one of those things you can't do today, for sure. No Even way. in parody, which that show totally was in parody of itself. Right, totally. Yeah, it was a parody of like the Definitely Maxim Tommy lifestyle. Steve. This is what Maxim Magazine, right. I think, the year that Maxim came out, and that became like the new thing. I think that's another reason why we look back at the 90s a little bit and cringe, is because Maxim Magazine and you know Girls Gone Wild and... You know the the metal the the new metal where women were just it was, you know, it was, sex it was objects. very very douche heavy for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah I, I, whenever I think no of that pe- era, no I think of shirts and yeah, I think cross, of like Van Wilder, you know. like that douchebag mentality. Yeah. Um, totally. What do we have behind the music debuts? Oh my god, behind the music, dun dun dun, bop bop. On the next segment. Oh great, back then, yeah. God, I love that. And as I think we discussed on the last one is when. You know, first off, they had all the great stories to tell. By the time they got to, like, year five, they're like, let's hear the story of <laughs> Winger. You're like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> How about Wang Chung? Remember those guys? They had a crazy backstory. Yeah, they, they Wang know? Chunged all night long, and they couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was cool back then because not a lot of people were doing, like, rock and roll documentaries. You know what I mean? That was like, you know, it made perfect sense to be on it. Uh, music channel. Yeah. But I, I hadn't really. You see maybe one or two of like somebody uber famous like Elvis Presley or something. But besides that, you know, you want to see some of your contemporaries. So, you know, what, what's, what, what was their life like, you know? I'm glad you talked for a minute because I'm looking at my next note and I couldn't remember what the hell I wrote. Uh, I wrote MTV Live. <laughs> it was not MTV Live. It was TRL debuted in 97, which is what right. fucked up MTV and I could never come back. Just it done. Yeah, and MTV yeah. was dead to me after that show. I turned it into a bunch of screaming teeny boppers, oh, and it God. definitely lost all. It definitely lost all its cool points for me, uh, anyway. Yeah. Not, like, not that I'm the arbiter of cool or anything, yeah. which I'm totally not. But it just was no longer cool to me. Just yeah, yeah just like one of those things you're sitting there. I remember Jean Garofalo came on. We talked about this in our MTV episode a few years ago. Um, yeah, is she came on? And she goes, "Why aren't you playing like these kind of artists anymore?" And he goes, he bluntly said, "This is in front of a live audience, uh, uh, you know, for everybody to see." He goes, "Because the ratings sucked." And she goes, what? And he goes, when we played those kind of artists, our ratings were lower than they ever were before. And they got into an argument in front of everybody. And she kind of like, she didn't walk off, but she could clearly see, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm not coming on this show ever again. We're, MTV's over for me. And I think that's kind of like our whole Generation yeah. X, like just washing our hands of that station. Well, yeah, you're talking about, you're trying to make an argument of art, 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 you know, artistic integrity versus commercialism. Yeah. It's just like, there's two, and that's what Carson Daly represents, and that's what Janine Gar- Garofalo represents, and they're not going to see eye to eye because they just, you know, that's not, yeah. not where their head's at. Carson Daly got a fucking talk show that I think just ended after, like, decades. Yeah. I just, it, it's been he, on forever. It's he, been on forever, and I thought it went off the air 10 years ago. Yeah, I thought I it did, too. When I found out it was still going, I was like, oh, all right, I people still care who watches that show at 1 30 in the morning it just yeah it seems like there's infinite amount of choices to consume now there's so yeah. much streaming and content out there you still choose to watch that pile of dog shit yeah well, I, my, okay. my <laughs> mom and sister actually went and saw carson daily live 
uh, I want to say 2002, maybe 2003, and Minnie Driver was the singing guest. And I just thought that was, I oh. didn't remember her singing. <laughs> I, yeah, nor did I. I didn't know she did that. Uh, last thing I'll say is Tenacious D is born. <sighs> 97, spinoff from Mr. Show, sort of spinoff. Same producing team, same, uh, you know, uh, that's where um, Jack Black started was Mr. Show. Well, to be fair, he actually was in a couple of shitty movies before that, but that's when people started to notice he started becoming part of that comedy scene. And I, you forget that Tenacious D was only like four episodes. Yeah, really. I, I watch some of the shows on YouTube sometimes. It's a real, you know, wasn't 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 that many. I was it just like one episode, one one season of Tenacious D. Maybe I want to say that it was two seasons, maybe it was six episodes, but it was two really short seasons. I think they had leftover money from Mister Show that they used to film those Tenacious D episodes. That's why there's so few. And I think they had a concert okay. special, and then they had their album. And the album is what everybody knows, and that's what got them the movie. Yeah. And then they waited another decade for a second album, which is okay, but nowhere nearly as good as the first one. And I think, right. I mean, you keep hearing about Tenacious D, but you're like, are you guys still a thing or what? I don't understand. I guess him and Kyle still do some stuff occasionally. Uh, like... Uh... Like Jack Black has a YouTube channel called Jablinski Games, and he'll feed, I'll see Kyle on there sometime hanging out. I really don't know what they do as far as projects or stuff that they put out. <laughs> I have no yeah. idea. If it's just just for them, you know, I have no idea. Yeah, it's such a goofball show, but I think I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like it seemed like it could have been a lot stronger if Jack Black wasn't such a massive star when that when that album came yeah. out. He had already broken out with. Um, uh, High Fidelity and Shallow Howl and stuff like that. So I think his focus was completely on something else. If he hadn't had as much success, I think that the yeah, dead would have been much bigger. If he wasn't already a bona fide A-list celebrity. Yeah. He was being pulled in multiple directions. Well, you know, Kyle, sure Kyle has to be on the sideline going, God damn it, let's get another album going. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure his agents, his agent and manager are probably like, why are you doing this Tenacious D bullshit? That's, like, yeah, that's probably true. You're a superstar, baby. You don't need this. You're that guy, you know? <laughs> let's do a Jumanji 3. Yeah. How does that work? Well, Cause technically, it, technically, Jumanji, uh, Welcome to the Jungle is a Jumanji two, right? It's not a remake. It's a two. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's. Yeah. You're right. I don't know why I went off on that tangent. Hey, let's wrap up the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody, that is the end of this episode. We're coming back. Two more episodes left, people. He talked me out of quitting on this episode. <laughs> uh, so we have ninety eight yeah. and ninety nine to go, and then we'll be done. I, he, he tried to quit, but I dragged him he back did, in. Because yeah, um, we have another show we were talking about doing about sketch comedy. Uh, we're going to get to that this year, I swear. Um, but yeah, we'll just do, we'll do two more episodes. We'll be done by the summer. And uh, Tony, thank you for another great episode. Uh, my pleasure, sir. Now I'm going to go shove Vicks up my nose so I can breathe. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a good night.